0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We are continuing our seven statements of Jesus, the seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and we're answering the question, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? And we're evaluating these seven statements to answer that question. In the first week, we looked at Jesus as the bread of life, our satisfaction. He is our satisfier. He, he gives us life and, and all of the other circumstance, situations, the things that we pursue in this world fall short and leave us disappointed compared to what he offers. Last week, we looked at how he was the light of the world. And how he understands our sufferings and isn't detached or disassociated from us in the times of our darkness, but instead comes in and exposes them. He, he meets us in them, and he brings us to rescue. And this week, we are going to be exploring one of my favorites, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. This world, it comes with uh, some difficulties, doesn't it? This world comes with um, hardships, some difficulties, some unexpected things that keep us on our toes, don't they? How do you respond when those things happen in your life? How do you respond when, when things are difficult or things become hard? I have a few pictures here that I think represent well how many of us will respond when things are difficult. The first one is how do we or when we run up to difficulties do we try to fix them ourselves and you can put up the first picture here of how we try to fix them ourselves <laughs> Instead of going to the professionals maybe we say hey you know what I got this I'm going to take care of this I know how to fix this rather than taking the time to maybe repair it right or or ask for help Maybe some of us we just ignore them And hope they go away. And we put on a smile and we just hope everything will just be dandy. It's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry about me. Everything is fine. How about this one? Many of us will just try to laugh it off as if it's not really affecting us. And we use humor to do this. This is one that had me laughing in my office a little bit. I had fun once. It was awful. We try to kind of use humor to, to maybe laugh off some of the difficulties and hardships. Seriously, though, we need to ask our, this question, though. How do we react? How do we cope with things not going the right way or when things don't go as we expected and they become difficult or hard or unexpected? And, and the passage we're going to look at today helps us to understand how Jesus is the way that we get through difficulties and hardships. So let's dive in. We're going to be looking at John chapter 15, 1 through 8 today. And the context of this is really important. So Jesus has just completed the Last Supper with his disciples, and this is really the last bit of discourse he's going to give before he goes to the cross. So you can imagine he's trying to really prepare his disciples for what's about to come next. Gethsemane is the next couple chapters right? Gethsemane is straight to the imprisonment and to the cross. And so he's really trying to make sure that they understand how are you going to deal with what's about to happen because they had no idea. Further from their minds was the realities of what was about to occur. And so the way he's going to start his discourse into helping make sure that they know how to prepare themselves is they're going to, he's going to remind them who he is. He's going to remind them of who he is And he needs to make sure they're prepared for the difficulties ahead, because they are not going to be easy. The next few days are not going to be, or the next week really is not going to be an easy time for them. He is preparing them for the difficulties. So with that said, let's dive into it. It's John chapter 15, 1 through 8. You can follow along in your Bibles or the app or the bulletin, or really it's anywhere. If you have a Bible, that'd be great. So John 15, 1 through 8 says this. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that you may bear more fruit. I'm going to go back and visit this more. There's a lot going on there. In verse 3, it says, you are already clean or pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away or drops off like a branch and and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples so this is this is the opening discourse he he's just finished the last supper and and most scholars think he's actually walking past the temple at this point if you were to get a picture of of jerusalem you have the temple mount and the kidron valley is just right across the walls and so he's walking towards gethsemane kind of having this discussion with his disciples telling them, guess what i am the true vine i am the true vine remain in me So immediately, we have to think about those first words. He is the the true vine, because what he is saying there is an incredible claim for a person to make. The true vine, an incredible claim for someone to make. And this would have been something the disciples would have perked their ears up going, wait, did he say just what I thought he said? So the way that he says there is that he uses the word alethnos. It's the uh, Greek word for, for genuine, the reality of it, what we might call true. The true vine, the genuine or real vine. And so if there's a genuine vine, there must be an ingenuine vine. Something that didn't live up to what it was supposed to be. And, and the imagery that would have first came to mind was things like Psalm 80. When the psalmist writes that Israel itself is the vine. So if you look at Psalm 80, verse 8, I'll read it for you here. It says, you removed a vine from Egypt, talking about the people of Israel. You drove out the nations and planted it. So he drove out the Canaanites and planted this vine, this place of blessing in the place of abundance so that it would spread across the nations, fulfilling the prophecy of Abraham, right? That they will be a blessing to all of the nations, Israel was a chosen people, a people selected to reveal the blessings of God, the character of God to the world around them. To be a a group of people who was faithful to him and to one God, and they would serve this, this one God for all of their lives, through generations and generations. However, if you looked at the history of Israel, we know hindsight, Israel was unfaithful many, many times. Even the best Israelites were unfaithful at times. Their kings were unfaithful. Their prophets became unfaithful. There were so many things that they didn't live up to the, the actual uh, expectations that God had for his people. Yet God was always faithful. Israel was unfaithful, yet God was always faithful. And so they, they had to bear the consequences of, a, of the unfaithfulness when they didn't serve the God but other gods. And they were scattered across the world and rather than being a blessing to the nations they were mocked and made fun of and dispersed just however jesus is now claiming to be the true vine saying the vines that were ripped out of egypt the vines that we were supposed to be the blessing to all nations the vines that were supposed to give sustenance to the nations he says i am the true vine in me lies the promises of israel you could see how this was such an incredible claim to these people. He was the full embodiment of the faithfulness of God, the promises of God being revealed into the vine for the rest of the world to take nourishment from. In Psalm 80, at the end of that verse passage, this is what the psalmist writes that Jesus fulfills. He says, let your hand be upon the man of your right hand. Where does Jesus live now? At the right hand of God. Upon the son of man, that was Jesus' favorite title for himself, whom you made strong for yourself, then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. Lord God of armies, restore us. Make your face shine upon us and we will be saved. This is speaking of the fulfillment of who Jesus is ultimately going to become. And you have to think that Psalm 80 was ringing in the ears of these, these Jewish men who understood the scriptures very well to recognize that Jesus was who he was claiming to be, what he was claiming to do, restore, revive, and endure the nations of, of the world. Be the blessing that Abraham was, was told his people would be. This must've captured their hearts, captured their minds They were fully understanding a little bit of what was going on in Jesus. That He is the real and genuine vine. He is the source of the the revival, of the endurance, of the things that, that keep us going in this world. He is that vine. He is He is that connection. And it's because of that that we can now endure through the difficulties. Let's look at the first couple chapters or the first couple verses here. And look at how he revives and he restores us. Verses two to three, Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You already cleaned or pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. So repeat after me these words. All translation is interpretation. All translation is interpretation. Oh, you guys are good. So we have to look at a certain phrase here. I want to look at the, the phrase he takes away because I think there, if we don't understand that really important phrase, we can have a misconception of what Jesus is saying and we might put ourselves in a position where we're actually doing something he's not asking us to do. Because I think what happens is we, we take this word he takes away and we kind of take away the, act, the application that, okay, I have to do a lot of things in order to bear fruit, If I'm doing a lot of things, I'm in the Lord, right? I'm in the branch, and I'm doing a lot of things, I'll bear a lot of fruit. I have to be busy. I have to be productive. I have to be doing the right things all the time in order to bear fruit. But when you actually study what he's saying here, the word in Greek is the word airo. Airo, it really means the idea of lifting up. Lifting up is the real meaning of airo. And so it's really this idea of taking up or lifting up. And, and it's hard to understand exactly what he's saying in our context because when we think of grapevines, we think of vines of grapes laying on trellises, right? Like a fence. I have a picture of it here for you. This is kind of what we think of a, of a modern-day vineyard. Grapes hanging on trellises high above the ground. But you know why they do that? They do that because if a, if a, the fruit is laying on the ground, the dryness of the, the, the surface of the, the ground actually will dry out the fruit. It will dry out the fruit, and the fruit will become like raisins. And so they put these grapes up on trellises so that they'll stay high and they'll stay moisture. They don't dry out. But in the time of Jesus, they didn't have the trellises. In fact, this is what a... Um, an ancient vineyard would have looked like, the fruit would have then fell onto the ground and hung onto the ground instead of trellises. And so what Jesus is telling us here, it's not about the vine dresser, God coming in and cutting off those things that are unproductive necessarily. He's talking about actually lifting up the fruit when it's on the ground, as it's it's laying there on the ground, he goes and has to lift it up so that the moisture can get to it so the fruit doesn't dry up. This is an important meaning of what Jesus is talking about with the vine dresser. Because as we walk out our lives with the Lord, as we walk out our lives with the Lord, it's easy to think, I have to just keep doing things. I have to be productive. I have to bear much fruit by my own effort. What Jesus is saying here is, no, you're going to bear fruit when you're attached to the vine. That is a a byproduct of being attached to Jesus, is you're going to bear fruit. He says, but there's also going to be times when you're bearing fruit that you're going to feel dried out. That you're going to feel like he's not there. That you're going to have to go through difficulties and realize, where are you, Jesus? Where are you, Lord? And he says, at that moment, when you're feeling dry and you feel like the moisture is being sucked out of you in this life, there's going to be a, a God, a vine dresser who comes. And he goes, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to revive you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to make sure the moisture is there so that you become healthy. It's not a matter of, of cutting off due to the fact you don't do enough. I think that's how we've kind of misunderstood Jesus' words here. It's really more about God coming in, lifting us up, and then pruning those things around us, cutting some of the things out of our lives that might block the, 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 wealth, the healthiness of our lives. Cuts the leaves off of us that are covering us so that the sun may hit the fruit itself so it'll become more abundant. Sometimes those are bad things, and sometimes they're good things that the Lord prunes out so that we can have a full and abundant fruit. So as we read that passage, really think that we should really think that He's the branch that we're in this branch, that we bear fruit, that He lifts us up, that He prunes it so that we bear even more fruit, but it doesn't have anything to do with our effort. It's about really just clinging to the vine. It's about being attached to the vine, that when you're in the vine, fruit will occur. And he's trying to, to make sure the disciples understand, as we are today, that you're going to have hard difficulties. You're going to have things that come up in your life. He, Jesus clearly knew very well what was about to happen. He knew very well the, the, the things that were about to happen, even with the disciples in the next couple days. And he says, this is going to be difficult. You're going to be confused. You're not going to know why this is happening to me. But he says, I have a vine dresser father who's going to come and he's going to lift you up. I think this is a powerful way to think about this passage. He is saying that it is is the fruit that will be lifted up so it doesn't dry out. He's talking about not being discouraged when things don't go your way. When things are uncomfortable, he says, he, Jesus says it himself. He says, You know, following me is going to be a, a costly enterprise for people, right? It's going to cost things when we say we're going to follow Jesus. It's, it's going to have its, its ups and downs. But Jesus is teaching us in this first part that he comes along, lifts us up, brings us life, gives us, gives us moisture in dry seasons, prunes us from the good things and the bad things that might block the sun from reaching us and leaves us in a healthier and better position. Now, pruning isn't always simple and easy. Sometimes pruning is painful. Sometimes being left on the dry dirt for a little bit is a painful experience, but he comes and lifts us and prunes us. Thinking about my own life and trying to reflect on this this week, I was thought of, I was brought to mind just those times even in ministry for the last 10 years or so. When I remember when I first started, and anybody who when you first kind of enter into a relationship with Jesus, you kind of have your own expectations, right? Like this is how this is going to go. And my first stint as a, a pastor, I was sent down to his little church of probably about 10 people. It had gone through some wicked division. It was barely hanging on by a thread. And I remember going down there, this 26-year-old hotshot, thinking that I was just going to save the world. That I was going to be the, the solution and the answer to these people's problems. I was a lot of pride in old Kelly back in when I was 26 and probably still is. But I thought for sure that God was going to, to just completely bring this like revival that I used to read about all the time. That we were just going to see all of these, these hundreds of people are just going to start coming just, just dramatic increase and all these things that I wanted to believe would happen. Well, year after year went by, I think I saw about two people saved the first year which was a great thing. Not downcasting that, but that was not what I was expecting. And I remember getting so discouraged out of all of the, the hardship and the, and the difficulties and the rejection and how my expectations weren't being met with, with the Lord. You guys ever been there? When you're, when you're sitting in a room and you just feel empty and you feel discouraged and you're just like, why isn't this happening the way that I wanted it to happen, Lord? Why did you send me into this? You know, there came to a place after years of a couple of years of trying to to make this happen, really out of our own effort. I remember the Lord distinctly saying to me, "Just let it go." And there was the the kid who was supposed to open all these church doors and plant a bunch of churches, and I had to close a church door. This was in February of 2020. Really good timing to go in and say, hey, we, we have got to do something different. This is just, un, it's unattainable, it's unhealthy. I was unhealthy and I was becoming unhealthy because of some of the things that were happening within the body. Little did I know that a month later would be this thing called a global pandemic. And everyone's church doors would be closed. And it was one of the most, it was difficult, but I remember spiritually in my life where I was, it was probably the healthiest thing that God ever did in my life. Because church did not, wasn't about doors being open. It wasn't about people being in seats. It turned into something different. We ended up having church in our backyard, and because we had to spread out, and it, it, church became what church was always supposed to be—a group of people who loved Jesus, coming together, worshiping, singing. We would have discussions till midnight about who God was. We would, I had a neighbor, her name was Charlotte. She, we had this chain link fence between my backyard and hers. And I would notice that about every Sunday she would sit on her patio, or every this was on Saturday night at the time. Every Saturday night she would sit on her patio, and every Saturday she would get a little bit closer. That little chair that she sat on would get closer and closer until finally we were like, Charlotte, just come over here. Come across the chain link fence. And so she came, and then all of a sudden her, her son started coming, and then her daughter started coming. And to see what God did in them restored the dryness of my soul. To see God reach Charlotte and her family, a family who was searching for the Lord, was, was restorative and reviving to my soul. At the time, if you would have said in February that this is what the next couple years would have looked like, I would have thought you were crazy. I would have thought this was dead in the water. This is, Lord, I don't even know why you sent me down here. This was a, I have really disappointed you. It's how I felt. Crying out to the Lord, I don't know what to do. He said, let it go. Watch me work. Remain in me. Stay with me. And watch what I can do. And those, those, that year or two out of Was this year or two after closing those doors was some of the best years of ministry I've ever had. Just pure, authentic, loving people, loving God, loving our neighbors, seeing Jesus reach our neighbors. It was amazing. It was awesome. And it restored something in my soul. It brought rejuvenation to me, to my heart, to my walk with the Lord. And it really, when I thought about what it was like being lifted up and pruned, that's exactly what it was like in my life was the Lord lifting us up, pruning us to getting us to where we needed to be. That was the hardest part about coming here, was leaving that community. That was the hardest part. That was what I dreaded the most, was leaving that little community that that was created during that time. So we need to allow the Lord to work this out. As difficult as it can be to not reflex and try to do things your way or pretend it's not there or laugh it off, whatever that looks like, You need to allow the Lord to work on you, even when it's difficult. And I have a phrase that I think captures this well. Stay on the table. You guys ever heard of that before? Stay on the table. When you're in surgery, (laughs) and the surgeon is working on you, it's really important you stay on the table. And this is exactly what it's like is when you're in difficult times, when you're in hard times, it was so tempting to throw the towel in, especially when in my story, throw the towel in, I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore, um, why did you even do, let me do this, Lord, I'm so over my head. It's so easy to do that, and I remember that simple phrase, dude, just stay on the table. Like, watch me work. Watch me change you and, and surgically remove things and help you to develop. Seven times in this passage, Jesus says those words, Remain, remain. You can tell he's almost pleading with his disciples because he knows what's about to happen. He's like, this is going to be confusing and difficult. Remain, remain. Stay on the table. The word there for remain is the Greek word meno. The Hebrew equivalent, because if you think about it, you've got to think these were Hebrew thinking people. Speaking Greek, so the Hebrew equivalent there is the word kavah, kavah. And it just means remain or wait, but it has also a really interesting connotation to it. It also means intertwine, intertwine, saying intertwine with me intertwine, don't don't just sit with me, but really intertwine with me. In fact, I have a great illustration to help you with this. I need a couple of volunteers. Who's Who's brave? Any brave people? Paul, come on up. Any one more? Sheridan, come on up. The kids all raise their hands. That's good. So you guys stand over here. There you go. Let them all see your face. You guys ever, uh, you guys seen a three-legged race before, Right? I'm going to tie your legs together here. You got, I, didn't, I didn't give you full disclosure. Don't tear the scarf, okay? It's my favorite one. Just kidding. So the idea of intertwine, it looks a lot like a three-legged race. So we're tying ourselves to something. And Jesus is saying, tie yourselves to me. Intertwine yourselves, your lives with me. Now, I'm not going to actually have you guys race or anything, okay? We, my, our liability insurance probably wouldn't love that. But you can imagine if you've ever seen one. If I was to ask you guys to go walk down that aisle right there, if one of you decided to go this way, it wouldn't work very well, would it? If one of you decided, I'm going to sit here while the other one goes, it's not going to work very well, is it? You're not going to finish the race you're not going to be able to complete the goal of where you're headed to go. So Jesus is asking us, wrap yourself with me. Intertwine with me. Remain in me is the image that we're trying, he's trying to convey here. Now he says, if I say step, you step together. Thank you. <laughs> if I say step again, you step together. If I say go to the right, there it is. This is the imagery. You guys can sit down now. <laughs> Perfect. But that's, this is the imagery of, of what Jesus is, is telling his disciples is, is wrap your legs up with me. Wrap, your, wrap, wrap yourself with me. Wrap your life around with me. Intertwine with me as we walk, as we go about it. Because again, as difficulties show... We like to do our own thing, don't we? We like to to handle it ourselves. We like to pretend it's not there. We like to cope with how we're comfortable coping with it. And Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to go through some hard stuff. Stay with me. Remain with me. Intertwine with me. Stop when I say stop. Go when I say go. Remain in me. We're going to sludge through some mud with him. and that's, that's a normal part of life. We're going, to, we're going to have to run this race through mud and snow and water and everything that becomes difficult at times. But he has always promised to be there. He's like, I am with you and you are in me. Remain in me. Don't try to do this apart from me. The disciples did not do a great job of this at first, which always makes me feel a lot better about my own life. Because guess what? When Jesus was taken in Gethsemane, what happened? They ran like no one else could run. I think it was all but one of them and the wonderful ladies of the ministry that stayed up to the cross. Most of these these guys are going to run for their lives. And Jesus knew that. He wasn't surprised by that. He told Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter thought he was He was nuts. We have a temptation to run when things are tough. We have a temptation to not remain when things are difficult. And it's not hard to, to put yourself in their position. Here was this, this rabbi, this teacher, who did amazing things, miraculous things, said amazing, miraculous things. And you believe was the Messiah. You're like, absolutely, I'm all in. You are in you, contains the eternal life, the words of life. And then he dies. What? That wasn't supposed to happen. Why would you allow yourself to die? That was never part of the plan, Jesus. So they scatter. Many of them just go back to fishing. They're like, I don't know what else to do with my life. I'm just going to go back to fishing. Sorry. Yet, it was after the resurrection, over a 40-day period, he found each and every one of them, minus Judas. I won't tell you what happens to him. It's kind of graphic. And he restores them. Every single one of them, he meets with them over a four day period after resurrection and he restores them. He brings them back to life. He brings them back into the vine and says, now remain in me. Getting through difficult times and situations that bear fruit in your life is not about trying to do it yourself. It's not about trying to make effort and and pretending it's not there or attempting to cover it up so you don't have to look at it. Sometimes we run. Sometimes we run. Yet Jesus is calling us to intertwine our lives with him, to tie ourselves up with him so he can restore us, revive us, lift us up, bring us back to health, cut the things out of our life that are both good and bad, but it won't bear the best fruit. Because walking with the Lord has his difficulties, but it also has some great and abundant fruit that can come from it. It's about recognizing the true vine of God. Seen in Jesus, who Jesus is, the genuine, real, faithful vine of God. That through him we are refreshed when we are dry. Lying on the ground, hopeless or discouraged, he picks us up. He cuts away the things that are holding us back so we can grow more. It's by intertwining ourselves with him, tying ourselves up in Jesus, and walking step by step with him through the mud and the muck of this world so that we can reach the end of our race together. That's who Jesus is. That's who the vine is. It's the one who revives us, gives us endurance, and restores us when we run. That's who our Jesus is. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, Have a great week.